Thank you, praise team. Uh, God bless you for being here. Right before I get started, I, I want to go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Ron and Sandy, appreciate them and, and their singing in the praise team. Ron took his mama to the hospital last night. Miss Mary's blood pressure escalated, and they kept her overnight to uh, run some more tests and keep her under observation. Hopefully, she'll be going home soon. Uh, but join Ron and I as we pray for his mom. And Steve Jones had to take his uh, dad to the hospital this week, and he's at the hospital. We have several church members who have been in the hospital and need a prayer. So pray with me, and let's ask God to be with these folks. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. And I know the Holy Spirit is in this place, and, and I pray, dear Lord, that you would take all the distractions that are in this room and in our hearts and minds, and dear Lord, help us to be able to concentrate just for a few minutes on your word and the message that you have for us. I pray, dear Lord, for those in our church who have been sick and, and those who have been suffering, those who have been grieving. Uh, Lord, we lift them up to you right now, and we pray that you would let them know that their church family loves them and we're praying for them. And Lord, right now I pray for every person in this room, whether they be on the floor or in the balcony, uh, our kids and we worship and kids church. Uh, Lord, I pray that, that you would be felt here today. And as we lift up Jesus Christ, I pray that you, Lord, would draw people to yourself. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. amen. A hearty amen. Well, the, the crazy and frustrating thing about time is that it always moves forward, <laughs> doesn't it? There, there is no R on the reverse stick of life. There's no reverse gear in our life. Uh, time never moves backward, not an inch, not a step, never. The, the hands of the clock are always moving clockwise, and the pages of the calendar are always torn off from the same direction. Therefore, once a deed is done, you can never undo that deed. Once a word is spoken, you can never unspeak that word. Once an opportunity is missed, it can never be reclaimed in exactly the same way. Let me tell you, let me put it like this. There are no do-overs in life. Back when I used to play golf all the time, I played with some pretty crazy guys and and uh, maybe there'd be a foursome of us, and we'd, we'd all tee off on a certain hole, and everybody would have a lousy tee shot. shot. I mean, the, the balls would shank, they'd go in the water. Nobody would have a good shot, and we'd just kind of look at each other without walking off the tee box until somebody said, how about a mutually agreed do-over, <laughs> where we all got to do it over again. But you know what? That might be so in some games of golf, but it's not that way in life. You can't have do-overs. And therefore, all of us live with certain regrets, certain things we wish we had not have done, places we shouldn't have gone, words that we shouldn't have spoken. And sometimes those regrets build up in our life and we have guilt. My question for today, as we've been pondering some of the tough questions in life, is simply, what can I do with all of my guilt? Is there an answer for all the guilt that's been stored up in my soul? Now, this is a very serious subject, is it not? Okay, and, and it can be somewhat depressing, and, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to start off in a depressing kind of way, but it gets better, all right? Don't lose me 
in these deep waters we're about to jump into. Hang in there with me because by the end we are going to find the biblical solution to guilt because your guilt can be dealt with. You can say farewell to your guilt today. But, but let's start out where all of us live. And let me do that by sharing with you three real stories. The first story has to do with a, a young lady by the name of Janet. Janet had a lot going for her, but yet she lived with depression. So much so that her family, especially her siblings, were afraid that she might try to commit suicide. And so what they did is rotate and check on her. They would call her at different times of the day, maybe stop by at work or go to her house or at least drive by her house to make sure things were okay. On one particular afternoon, one of the siblings drove by and they noticed that her car was in the driveway and that it was running. And so they got out to check on her and sure enough, Janet was inside of her car, the windows were rolled up, she had taken a hose and attached it to the tailpipe and put it back into the inside of the car. And she was unconscious with her head laying on the steering wheel. Well, they were able to get the car open, get her out of the car, revive her, take her into the house. All the other siblings came over and they talked about, what, what do we do now? Should we call the police? Should we take her to the hospital? Janet was okay. She, she came to herself and, and she apologized for what she did. And she told them, listen, guys, I promise I, I won't try this again. Everything is okay. All I need to do is sleep. I'm so sleepy. I'm so tired. Would you just let me go to sleep? We can talk about it more tomorrow. And so they conceded. They, they allowed her to go to sleep. They made sure she fell asleep. Then they took her keys and they took the hose. Little did they know she had another set of keys and she had more of the hose. And the next morning, a neighbor found Janet in her car in the driveway, dead. Now, let me tell you what this did to her families, especially her siblings. They made a terrible mistake and they could not get over the regret and the guilt for the rest of their lives. Another story, true story, about a young man named Joshua. Uh, Joshua and his dad had conflicts from the very beginning. I, I think it's probably because their personalities were the same. And so they just, you know, they just butted heads all the time. Uh, and, and you know what? It got worse instead of better until finally when Joshua was a, an older teenager one day, he had it out with his dad. They got into a shouting match. Josh pushed his dad, told his dad where to go, and then he said, I hate you. I've always hated you, and I'm never coming back in this house. And with that, he, he stormed out. Now, his dad, was, he was just taken back. He was shocked. He couldn't believe it. And so he picked up a bottle and started drinking until that evening when in his living room, he killed over with a massive heart attack. It caused regret and guilt in Josh's life, and he never got over that fatal final meeting when he said things to his father he wished he would have never said. 
One more final story. This is told by David Siemens. David was a uh, Methodist missionary in India. Uh, he was born to missionaries uh, who had him on the field in India. He came back to the States, studied. Then he went back to India as a missionary himself. He tells the true story of a young man with serious trouble getting along with other people. He, he just couldn't get along with other people, especially his wife. His wife was young, she was attractive, she was beautiful, she was warm, caressing, caring, yet he was critical towards his wife. In fact, he blamed her for all of their problems. But not only was he critical towards his wife, he became harsh and critical towards all of his friends, so much so that they started avoiding him. And finally, one thing led to another. His marriage was about to dissolve. He was about to lose his job. Nobody wanted to be around him. And he finally went to a Christian counselor. And it was during one of these counseling sessions that the truth finally came out about what was agging on in his life. When he was uh, younger and was in the military, he was stationed in Korea. And he got two weeks of R&R in Japan, and he spent it in Tokyo. And while he was walking the streets of Tokyo, he was tempted to go and see a prostitute. Now, he knew that was wrong. He had been raised knowing that was wrong. He knew that he had a fiancé who was back at home. They were scheduled to get married when he was released from the military. But yet he gave in to the temptation, and he went and spent time with that prostitute. It was not a one-and-done deal. He was in Tokyo for, seven, for 14 days, and he went and saw that prostitute 14 times. When he came back home, he married his fiancée who had remained faithful to him. And he knew what he had done. He never said anything to anyone about it. But let me tell you, the regret and the guilt that he lived with had turned him into a harsh, impatient man who was hard to get along with. You know what this means, don't you? Time out. Let me do a little time out. Guilt can do crazy things to us, can't it? You know, guilt can eat away at you. Guilt can cause you to be miserable. Don't take my word for it. Listen to what David said in Psalm 38, verses 4 and 5. David said, my guilt has overwhelmed me. It's like a burden that's too heavy to bear. Now, I would ask you to show hands, but you know what? I think every hand would be raised in this room. You know what he's talking about, don't you? Have you ever had some regret, some sin, something that you've done that is so burdening on you that it becomes overwhelming to you? It's a burden that you just can't bear any longer, and somehow or another you've got to deal with it. Somehow or another you've got to vomit this out. He said, my wounds fester. They are loathsome because of my what? Sinful folly. But there's an even deeper problem here. Not only do we have to bear the regret of specific wrongs that we have done, we bear the guilt of a sinful nature that is at its very heart rebellion against God. Friend, let me tell you something. Our acts of disobedience are simply shoots of sinfulness that spring up from the roots of a rebellious nature. 
And again, don't take my word for it. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 3. He said, there is no one who is righteous. No, not even a single person. All have turned away. The whole world is accountable to God. For all have sinned and fall short of his glory. And that's the condition of every person in this world. Everyone who is above the age of, I don't know, two, (laughs) five for some, all of us deal with regret. All of us deal with guilt. Why? Because we've all sinned. You've got a sinful nature. No matter what, you're going to sin by nature or by choice. And and that guilt burns away at our conscience. How do we fight off this spiritual cancer that feeds on our soul? How do we soothe a guilty conscience? Or as my question for today, what can I do with all my guilt? How do I deal with it? How do I get rid of it? And you know what? I'm not just talking about myself and maybe one or two of you. I'm talking to every one of you. We're all in the same boat. We all have regrets. We all have guilt. What do we do with it? How do we deal with it? Well, let me tell you how the world tries to deal with it. Three Ds. Number one, they try to drown it. (laughs) They try to deal with their guilt by drowning it. Some drown it with alcohol and drug abuse. I've I've been reading statistics lately on uh, the number of, of people in America who are addicted to to drugs and alcohol. And it's not only alarming, it's just getting worse. I was studying this past week on the number of teenagers who are escalating in their use of marijuana. And you know what? I think it's just going to get worse because our world, our society, has put a stamp of approval on marijuana. And, And you know what? So it's more available. More people are doing it. More kids are addicted to it right now than ever before. There are the old drugs that are, you know, LSD and, and hallucinants and, and cocaine, but methamphetamine is, is on the rise. I also read this week that 19.7 million adults in America, we're not even talking about middle schoolers and teenagers, we're just talking about adults. Almost 20 million of them battle some kind of substance abuse. Why, why are Americans drinking and drugging themselves literally to death? Well, I, I think one of the big reasons is we're trying to escape ourselves. We're, we're trying somehow or another to drown the pains of our guilt. I think everybody in the first service remembered this guy. How many of y'all remember the name Marlon Brando? Eh? Remember him? Great movie star, man. I mean... Uh, he, he made some, some killer movies, uh, big-time movie star. Back in his day, he was, he was kind of, you know, the GQ guy of Hollywood. He was handsome and, and young and trim and, and famous. He died in 2004, but right before his death, his, his life just spun out of control, and he became addicted not, not to drugs and alcohol. He became addicted to eating. And before he died in 2004, he went from this slim, trim, good-looking Hollywood stud to a man who weighed over 400 pounds. And here's what he said to a dear friend right before he died. He said, I'm sorry for all the harm that I've done and for all the troubles that I've brought into other people's lives. I've never been a good parent. And I was a worse husband. 
I've been too busy with my own life to have time for others. Now listen to this. He said, now I'm just a guilty old man who's ashamed of the kind of life that I've lived. And there's nothing left for me except to escape through eating. (laughs) And that's what he tried to do. So how do some Americans deal with guilt? Well, they try to drown it. Others, number two, other people deal with it by denying it. Our society has become increasingly secular. That is, we have lost our respect for the authority of the Word of God. And that has led to a dangerous and destructive moral and spiritual chain reaction. Now, I'm about to go off into a rant, but try to follow me as as I chase this rant. If there is no authoritative word of God, then there are no moral absolutes. And if there are no moral absolutes, there is no ultimate standard of anything being right or wrong. And if there is no ultimate standard of what is right and what is wrong, then we can base all of our rules and all of our standards simply on social consensus or what the world says is okay. And if we base our rules on social consensus, then we can adjust them however we want to adjust them by turning them up or turning them down. We can adjust them downward. We can live any way we want to, and there is no such thing as a genuine guilt before God any longer. Guilt is just a nagging relic that doesn't matter. I'll I'll behave like I want to behave. Other people try to deal with guilt by deflecting it. What do I mean by deflecting it? Well, they never take responsibility for their own failures and shortcomings and sins and faults. They blame it on somebody else. It's somebody else's fault that I'm this way. It's my parents' fault. It's the school system. It's the educator. It's the government's fault. This technique goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, and we still are playing the blame game today. But you know what, church, sooner or later, all of these techniques fail. Every single one of them fails, and we find that we cannot escape the consequences of our own sinfulness and the guilt that results from it. Listen to what Jeremiah said in chapter 2, verse 22. He said, From the Lord, the Lord is saying, although you wash yourself with lye, which is a form of soap, and use much soap, yet your iniquity is marked before me, declares who? Declares the sovereign Lord himself. For guilt is the corrosion of your soul. Guilt corrodes the human soul. So how do we get rid of it? We can't drown it. We can't deflect it. We can't deny it. How do you deal with guilt? How do you get rid of guilt when you can't drown it, deny it, deflect it? Let me tell you, church, the only way that you can get rid of guilt is dissolve it in the blood of Jesus Christ. Did you get that? The only way this corroding guilt can be purged from your internal soul is through the blood of Jesus Christ 
our Lord and Savior. And that brings us to our psalm for the day, Psalm 51, all right? Now, I've spent half my time in the introduction, all right? Don't worry, though. The sermon's the same length, all right? Now we come to the solution for our guilt problem. It's found in Psalm 51. What we've been doing in the month of January, we've been asking these, these troublesome questions. Today is, how can I deal with my guilt? The answer is found in Psalm 51, which, Ed, is an amazing psalm. I went back this past week because I, it's one of my favorite psalms, and, and I researched how many times I've preached this psalm over a dozen times. Uh, this is a fantastic psalm, and I'm going to hit it from a different angle today than perhaps I ever have before. So let's just read verses 1 through 12. There are more verses, but we're just going to read these first 12. Here's what David said. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from all of my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin, it's always before me. It's against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. And remember, God is the judge of the universe. David goes on and says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know what is wise. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow." Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones that you have broken through conviction may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean, a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and, and Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Now, we know what precipitated Psalm 51. The story surrounding this is found in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. There we read that on a particular occasion, it was the season of time in the year when kings would go out to battle. They would go out and defend their nation. And David should have been out with his army defending Israel, but he stayed home. He put General Joab in charge of the armies, and, and David was at home in his palace, really not doing what he was supposed to be doing. And one night when he couldn't sleep, he got up and climbed up on the roof and looked over his kingdom, looked over the holy city. And by chance, when he looked down, he saw this gorgeous, beautiful, drop-dead beautiful woman bathing on her rooftop in the moonlight. Well, what followed was the most infamous political sex scandal really in the history of the world. What followed was adultery, murder, and even cover-up. 
And David was so caught up in this crime. He was so caught up in his adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband Uriah the Hittite that he didn't even think of himself as being guilty of doing anything wrong until his spiritual advisor, a prophet by the name of Nathan, came to him. Then suddenly David's eyes were open, and he saw the enormity and the mess of what he had done. Isn't it strange and amazing how blind we ourselves can be to our own sinful behavior? I mean, we take take the hook with the bait and the line and the sinker and everything else, don't we? Satan draws us in, and he makes us think, you know what? If anyone is deserving of doing this, you are. You're not going to get caught. This may be wrong for everybody else, but it's not wrong for you. Go ahead. You deserve this. You do this. And and we enter into that sin, and we don't even see what we have done. In, In David's case, it was not until Nathan the prophet pointed out his sin that David saw himself as he really was. And he saw his sinfulness as it really was. What is his response? Well, he quit trying to hide it. (laughs) He wrote Psalm 51. It is a psalm of confession. Literally, David is coming clean. He's asking God to remove this sin. He's asking God to forgive his iniquity. He is asking the God of the universe to cleanse him. So let's just quickly look through some of these verses and notice the two things that we must do just as David did to get rid of our guilt. What is the first step? It is to ask God, Lord, remove my sin. Take my sins from me. You own your own sins. You don't deny them anymore. You don't deflect them. You don't try to drown them. You own them. And you ask God to dissolve your sins in the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, deliver me from my sins. We see this in the first nine verses. He's saying the same thing over and over again. But look at verse 1. He said, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out all of my transgressions. Let me me just pause and, and look at that little phrase, blot out. He said, blot out my transgression. In the Hebrew, that means literally to rub it out. Specifically in our day, erase it. It's as if David could see this blackboard in his mind, or maybe he saw a big blackboard in heaven that's taken care of by a holy accountant. And on that blackboard, he saw not only this sin of adultery and murder and cover-up, But he saw all the sins that he had committed. I don't know if you've ever imagined that in your own mind, but I've thought of it numerous times. And if I had such a blackboard, it would be enormous. (laughs) It would be bigger than this room. And in very fine print would be all of the sins that Will Harmon has committed. All of the sins that make me guilty before God. All of the sins that are corroding the inside of my life and causing me to be miserable. Have you you ever imagined that in your own life? And don't be so pious as to think you don't have a blackboard, because let me tell you, you got one, and there's plenty on it. Just ask your spouse. 
But here's what David is praying. And let me tell you, I prayed the same prayer. Lord, erase it. Erase all of it. Make my blackboard clean. And then in verse 2, he says, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. That word wash away was something that all the Hebrews could relate with because that's what they did with their laundry. <laughs> that's what it's talking about, taking your laundry out and washing your dirty clothes. David was saying, I feel like I'm a dirty garment that needs to be thoroughly laundered. And then in verse 7 is a wonderful phrase. He said, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. And you ask yourself, well, what, what is hyssop? What, what is he talking about there? Well, we know that hyssop was a plant in biblical times. We don't know exactly what plant it was, but some sort of shrub or brush. But we do know that in the scripture, the hyssop plant is connected with the blood of the lamb. Go back with me to Exodus chapter 12 on the night of the Passover when the death angel was passing through Egypt and, and slaying the firstborn of everything that was born, both animal and man. Moses told the Israelites, take bunches of hyssop, tie them together, dip the hyssop in the, the blood of the atoning sacrifice and take that blood with the hyssop and paint it on the sides and the top of your doorpost so that when the death angel passes through Egypt and he sees the blood of the lamb on your doorpost, he will pass over you. Literally, this hyssop plant became the paintbrush that they painted the blood on their doors with. I think David was saying something very prophetic. He's saying, Lord, take your divine paintbrush and paint me with the crimson blood of the Lamb, the Lamb of glory. He was looking forward to the cross of Jesus Christ because we know what happened on Calvary Church. We've read the New Testament. Jesus shed his life's blood on that cross. And his blood is the only thing that can wash away our sins. You want your guilt to be gone? Here's the key. Ask God to take his paintbrush and with the blood of Jesus Christ to wipe you clean. That's the only way. Peter put it this way. Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sin might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. The only thing that can make you clean, the only thing that can take the guilt away, is the blood of Jesus Christ. And then he said this in verse number 7, Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Don't you love snow? occasionally we got a little glimpse of snow the, the other day nathan made a great video uh, if you hadn't seen that you need to go back on facebook and find it you know little indiana boy playing in the snow in fort smith yeah. i love the purity of snow and and that's what he's saying lord make me as pure as the driven snow so my question is would you like to be utterly and absolutely and totally forgiven 
for all the sins you've committed? Would you like to be forgiven? Would you like the guilt that has been corroding your soul to be taken away? It can be. It's found in the blood of Jesus. There's an old hymn that says, there's power in the blood. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. So number one, to get rid of your guilt, you ask God to remove it. Number two, you ask God, Lord, would you restore my soul? Restore my relationship with you. Look at verse number 10. He said, create, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I, I believe that through the years, verse 10 has become my favorite verse of Psalm 51. In fact, every day I pray this prayer. I pray, Lord, would you create in me a pure heart? Lord, would, would you renew a, a right spirit, a steadfast spirit inside of me? And that word that, that he used, create, is an a word that indicates a miracle. This is something that, that David could not do on his own. This is a miracle that God had to do for him. He's saying, Lord, give me a new heart. Create a clean heart on the inside of me, O God. Restore me. Renew me. Reinvigorate me. Revive me, Lord. Make me live again. Why? Because this sin was killing him. The guilt was eating away at him. Mary Saunders was a missionary in Africa. She worked with uh, students at a seminary, African students. And one day a young African lady came to, to Mary. They called her Mama John for some reason. And, and so she said, Mama John, would you teach me how to pray? How, how can I really get a hold of God and, and pray? And so Mama John set her down and said, well, girl, before you can really pray, you, you need to make sure your heart is right with God. You need to make sure there's nothing between you and the Lord. And so she took this young lady to Psalm 51. And she read her this psalm. And, and she pointed out the, the broom tree, the hyssop tree, and, and how it, it, it with the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse us from our sins. And, and then she spent some time in verse 10. And she talked about asking God to create a clean heart in us and renew a right spirit inside of us so that our hearts can be ready to talk to God so that there's no sin between us and the Lord and she said then and only then can you effectively pray and so as they sat there and talked about it they both agreed well let's pray together and here is this young African girl's prayer she said God would you get a broom and sweep out my heart sweep it good Lord so that you get every single corner, then I can be clean and I can have a pure heart. Amen? I mean, some of us need to do that today. Whether you do it where you're seated in your pew or at the altar, you need to ask God to take that broom and clean out every corner of your heart. You need to quit pretending and quit hiding and you need to own up to your own sin. You need to quit covering it up. And acting like you didn't do anything wrong. You need to say, God, expose me. Show me every corner of my life that is displeasing to you. And dear Lord, as I confess that, would you please cleanse me from that? He goes on to say this in verse 11. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, I don't know about you, but verse 11 has always been intriguing to me, especially as a free will Baptist. But you have to understand, 
In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was, was a different agent of the Trinity of God than he became in the New Testament. On the day of Pentecost in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit indwelt every believer. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would sometimes come upon men or women for certain tasks that God wanted them to do. He didn't abide on them or on everyone at the same time as he does in the New Testament. Do, do we understand that? David saw this. David knew because the Bible tells us that when King Saul, his predecessor, was anointed as king, that God placed his Holy Spirit on Saul's life. And the Holy Spirit was on him. But we know what Saul did. Saul sinned against the Lord. And his heart became hard and cold. So what did God do? He removed his Holy Spirit from Saul. And Saul became a bitter, cantankerous old man. David had seen that. He had experienced some of Saul's anger. And so David is now praying, Lord, I don't want to be like Saul. I know that your Holy Spirit was placed on me when I was anointed king of Israel. I know it. I, I felt it. I've lived it. But I've sinned, Lord. So please forgive me and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I, I think the lesson for us is obvious. You know what? You may be a believer. You may be a Christian. You may be following the Lord. But let me tell you, there's one thing that can get between you and the Lord, and that's sin. And if there is sin between you and God, you know what? You're not, you're not happy. You're, you're miserable. It's like guilt that's eating away at you. And God doesn't want you to live that way. He doesn't want anything that's hindering his relationship with you. So what do you do? You need to pray this prayer. Lord, Lord, please let there be restoration in our relationship. I don't want anything coming between me and you. And then in verse 13, he goes on. I love the old King James Version of verse 13. He says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Can we do a quick time out? Did you know that if you have guilt in your life because of unconfessed sin, there is no joy? You're, you're, you're miserable, man. You, you know what it does to you. It just eats away at you. You lose all joy. There's no happiness. There, there's no smile on your face. You're just, you're miserable. You're, you're acting like you don't know what I'm talking about. Let me use this as an illustration. Angie and I very seldom fight. I mean, how, how can you fight with somebody that's perfect? Okay? And I'm not referring to myself. Because here's the problem. Here's the problem. In, in our home, when there is friction and there is conflict, it's generally my fault. I've said something, I've done something, I've acted in a certain way, you know, and, and, it, and, it, and it's caused this tension. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, No clue, Jason. Well, yes, you do. You've been married long enough. You know now, man. Something happened a few weeks ago, and, and you know, there was that tension. I had said something, done something. I, I don't even know what it was, but, but it was miserable in our house. We're, we're the only two in our house. I mean, all the kids are gone. Every night ought to be date night. We ought to be, you know, enjoying life. But I was miserable that night. 
you know, I'd had a good meal. I was, I was in my recliner. My ke- feet were kicked up. I was actually watching a Western on the Western Channel. Let me say, for me, life doesn't get too much better than that. But I, I was miserable. And, and, and I realized, you know what? The joy is gone. The joy in this house is gone because there is friction between me and my wife. And the only way this is going to be fixed is when I man up, swallow my pride, and get it fixed. And you know what? When, when you do that, when you, when you fix it, when you, when you own up to your own problem and, and ask, in my case, Angie to forgive or God to forgive, you know what you get back? That joy. For some of you, the joy of your salvation was so long ago, you've forgotten what it felt like. Maybe there's so much guilt and corrosion. It's like, it's like your car battery, and sometimes it won't start, and you'll pop the hood, and you look, and see, there's all that corrosion on that wire, that positive wire. There's corrosion eating away. The, the connection can't be made. There's so much corrosion in your heart right now that you're not connecting with God, and your joy is gone. Friend, let me tell you, I don't want you to leave that way today. You may have come in here that way, but you don't have to leave that way. You can once again experience the joy of your salvation. He said, restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto you. Lord, you will bring such joy into my life that I can't contain it and keep it on the inside. I'll have to tell other people about it. And he goes on in the next verse and says this, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Let me tell you, when you own up to your sin and ask God to forgive you and to cleanse you and to restore your relationship with him, then all that comes out of your mouth is praise. But but David was very careful at this point. He understood that confession and repentance had to be sincere or it wasn't any good. And you know what? We can, we can give a good speech. We can make a good talk. We can fake a lot of people out, but you can't fake God out. He, he knows if you're being real. He knows if you're sincere. So look at verse number 17. He says the sacrifices of God are what? A broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise thee. In other words, we've got to get to the point where our sin and the thing that is causing us so much guilt is breaking our hearts. Why? Because it's already broken the heart of God. And we don't want to live this way any longer. And so we ask God to remove the sin and to restore our relationship. So, Do you want to stay in your guilt? Or do you want guilt to flee? Do you want to walk out of here with the weight lifted and the guilt gone? I'm just asking. But I'm asking. Do you? Real simple. Bible tells us right here how it can happen. We can be cleansed. We can say bye-bye to the guilt. It can be gone when the blood of Jesus is applied to our lives. And as David said right here, Lord, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me 
and I shall be whiter than snow. Or as Charles Wesley, the great Methodist preacher and hymn writer put it, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Guys, it availed for you. So, here it is. You can do with it what you want to. I'm just kind of like the spiritual mailman. My job is to deliver the mail, to deliver the message. And I've told you what God has told me to tell you today. Because let me tell you, all of us deal with this question, this tough question. All of us deal with this problem. But hear me again. You don't have to be consumed with guilt. You can be free from it today.